Welcome back to The Dad Chronicle, where we share stories from dads all around the world. I'm your host, Alex Albisu. This is episode 91. Today's episode is a very special one. I speak with two amazing men named Daryl Harrington and Mike Belusic, who have started an organization called HeartCrate. And the purpose of HeartCrate is to help kids who are forced into the foster system by sending them boxes of toys and other things that they love. And oftentimes, these kids come from really harsh conditions. And before we move forward, I want to forewarn anyone listening to this who could be triggered by descriptions of violence or of sexual assault that you may want to be cautious in listening further to this episode. And if you would like to skip straight ahead and uh, learn more about HeartCrate, you can do so by visiting heartcrate.org. And heart is spelled just like the word heart, H-E-A-R-T. Crate, C-R-A-T-E, dot org. First, we learned from Mike what it was like being raised by an abusive father. This was all not really understood to me as a kid growing up. All I understood really was that he was a very, very scary, violent man. We also hear from Daryl's experience with his own father. Well, let's say he just kind of wasn't in my life a lot. He was in and out of prison. He's an alcoholic. Addiction is is sort of a theme in my family, and, and that got passed on to my both my older brother and younger brother. We hear from the guys on how they became inspired to help kids. That was just always a huge focus. And we both always related with helping kids, especially like ones that have been through a lot or had mental health problems and geek culture. We learned how to prevent and report child abuse. Better safe than sorry is is always the best way to go. Um, Yeah, I I was going to agree. I was going to say be bold. Sometimes it's scary to call someone in on something you know especially if they're a friend or somebody you know and finally we learn from these guys how they took their love of helping kids and their love of geek culture to start an organization like heart crate doesn't matter how much trauma or how odd your personality is or how bad you smell if you know you like pokemon and i like pokemon let's hang out here's my conversation with daryl and mike from heart crate hello i have daryl harrington and michael belusic did i say that right you did. You got it perfect. Look at that. Hey, guys, how you doing today? Doing good. How are you? Doing great. Um, so we've got a really exciting uh, topic to bring to the table today, a, a great way that people can uh, support some kids in need. And uh, I'm very excited for you guys to tell your story and how the folks at home can help support this really great cause that you guys have kicked off. Um, but before we do that, let's introduce the folks at home to you guys. So, Daryl, why don't you uh, go ahead and start by introducing yourself? Uh, well, yeah. Hi. Um, my name is Daryl. Uh, I um, work for HeartCrate. It's not my full-time job, not, not what uh, brings in the bacon necessarily, but it is our po- passion project, um, a nonprofit, 501c3 certified that... Um, is all about getting toys and books to kids in need. So any kids that have been affected by abuse, neglect, or just underprivileged in general would qualify to get a heart crate box. And and we really believe in this project as our way of giving back. Yeah, um, that's so super yeah. awesome what you guys are doing. And and Michael, why don't you take a second to just introduce yourself? Yep, I'm Mike. Um, Mike, Michael, either way. I'm... Uh, Working with kids since I was 21 years old. Um, I'm turning 38 this week, so for oh, quite a long birthday. time, and uh, worked lots of different jobs in the field, and really understand uh, the potential impact of Heart Crate. Uh, Daryl came with 
me with the idea, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah, yeah, that's kind of my focus right now. Um, still working other jobs to make money and live, but that's what I'm doing primarily right now. Well, I love it, guys. And you guys are also parents, right? In, yes. In, in a former fashion here. And I want to take a moment to talk to you guys about your own family situations, learn more about your role as parents and, and why you guys are inspired as parents. Uh, so Daryl, why don't you uh, take us through your family situation? Sure. Um, so I met my wife when I was 16 years old uh, over some Wendy's Frosties. And uh, oh. we've been pretty much together ever since. Got married about five years ago. We have a four-year-old daughter and another daughter on the way. Uh, my wife is about six months pregnant. So congratulations. Yeah, thank you very much. I appreciate it. We're going through that process um, one more time, and then and then it's then we're done. Yes. Uh, but <laughs> it it's been I don't know. It's been such a revelation to just the you know becoming a father and and getting the opportunity to you know show my kids how I can be there for them um, and and just show up every day and invest in them and. And yeah, it's it's the most rewarding thing ever. So yeah, I love it. Mike, how about you? Well, um, segueing in from so I met Daryl um, when we worked at the same um, facility working with kids, and um, I met him when his wife got pregnant. And at the time, I was married to somebody else, and um, that ended shortly after that. I never had kids in my marriage, and for about three years now, I've been with. My lovely partner, her name is Bree, and she has three kids, and they are now essentially my kids as well. Um, I'm stepdad to them. I pretty much am dad in every way. Pick them up from school, tuck them in at night, make dinner, all all the all the things. Um, but yeah, there are three kids. It's Charlie, the oldest, who is eleven; Henry, who's eight; and Oliver, who is sixth. That's amazing, Mike. So when you became a stepdad or, you know, you were dubbed that, what was that like jumping into a relationship with somebody who had three kids and you never having kids? Um, it, it was it was a lot. Um, initially, before I moved in, um, when we were just dating and I started getting small doses of the kids being around, um, it was great. It was really fun. Like, I love kids. I've been working kid with kids my whole life. I I did want kids, um, my own kids. It just kind of didn't work out, just didn't happen. And so the idea of having kids, even stepkids, was not um, unappealing to me, but it was still really um, terrifying to all of a sudden have all these responsibilities and think about how they're going to look up to you and how you're gonna, going to affect them. Um, but honestly, the transition was very smooth for the most part. Um, I felt very welcomed. I felt very... Um, I don't know, loved and cared for almost immediately. So that's so great. I feel very much like this is my family. That is hard to do, by the way. So kudos on you for finding that. I talk to a lot of stepdads and uh, sometimes that transition is not as, uh, I don't want to say easy. I don't think easy is the right word, but seamless or, you know, I don't know what the right term is, but I am very happy to hear that, that that's working out so well. Um, what does fatherhood, you know, mean to you, Daryl? Some somebody that you know, you you have your daughter and then another girl on the way. Uh, what was it like becoming a dad for the first time? 
Uh, I was absolutely terrified, um, <laughs> which, you know, I think is a pretty common sentiment, but I wanted, I knew I wanted kids from the age of, you know, as soon as I met my wife, essentially 16, um, I had my daughter's name picked out Skyla, um, that early as well. Uh, so it was it's always something name. that I wanted to do. And I think a lot of that passion came from, you know, maybe in, in some way, writing the wrongs of, of family members and my dad in particular. Um, but the pregnancy happened and all of a sudden I was, I was just losing it, you know, like, oh, you know, the, this past or this self that I have is going to end, you know, it's kind of like a loss. Um, and that amount of responsibility was just building and building and building. Um, even in the delivery room, the, the nurse was more concerned about me than my wife, uh, because I, I was literally about to pass out, like freaking out. And I had also realized I hadn't eaten anything in like eight hours. Oh, well that'll so also she, do it. <laughs> <laughs> so Jeez. she, she brings me some orange juice and some crackers and you know, I'm eating and my wife's concerned about me and it was a very sad situation, but, uh, the baby started to come and, uh, I promised myself I wasn't going to look, I'm not super squeamish, but, uh, suffice it to say, as soon as I saw my daughter coming into the world, um, all of that just fell away. Uh, you know, the responsibility or the weight of it didn't matter anymore. And things just clicked in almost a magical sort of, uh, way. And that, like I said, that might seem common or, or cliche, but it, there's some some truth about it yeah that, that things just click that, that it um, really is a, a moment of magic i had that similar sort of experience when deanna was giving birth to aria yeah i looked and frankly i got distracted and i I was holding her leg i was like fascinated by yeah, what same. was happening and i didn't hear it but all of a sudden i feel deanna's hands and her nails just digging into my arm like put yeah. my leg down and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm really <laughs> sorry. It's so like, uh, it, it really catches you in the moment. Um, so, so what was it like holding her for the first time? I mean, that just solidified it further. Um, it, it's really hard to describe because it's a whole new emotion that you experience. Um, like holding a part of your legacy, but also holding this, holding a job in your hands. You know what I mean? Like I now have another job and it is to love and take care of this, this wonderful human being yeah. um, that I created and that I'm now responsible for. Yeah. Um, we, you know, Mike and I work with kids that have, like I said before, been abused, neglected um, kids that have pretty significant trauma or mental illness based on their upbringing. And, uh, it's really hard to imagine the idea of a parent walking away or abusing their kids mm -hmm. um, because they're just such a precious part of life. And, you know, um, that's that's a lot of why we why we want to do this so that we can give kids some of the same experiences that mm -hmm. we had or, or plan to have with our kids. Yeah. And you guys have very interesting backstories. You know, thinking back to your own history growing up, this 
perception of what fatherhood was um, was not your traditional, even even happy situation in some cases. Um, you know, Mike, do you want to take a moment and just reflect on that with us? Sure. Um, well, my uh, my father, when I was uh, eight or nine years old, had a um, very serious head injury in a car accident, and it very much affected his mental health. Um, they suspected that he wouldn't be able to speak or poss- possibly not walk because of the severity of the head, head injury. Um, he was able to recover in almost every way except for his ability to regulate his emotions and um, sometimes uh, some cognitive functioning. Like he had a problem with more complex decision making. <laughs> An interesting side effect was he had a hard time comprehending jokes. Um, but anyway, this, this was all, um, not really understood to me as a kid growing up. All I understood really was that he was a very, very scary, violent man. And so for most of my childhood, he, uh, he was never a good, safe person. He was always just the person I was either trying to get away from or protect my brothers and mother from. So it was not a happy, uh, childhood with my father involved no I, I could imagine um well i guess i can't um, imagine probably I, I don't know if that's the right thing to say I, I i can sense from you um how potentially traumatic that was i mean is there uh some things that thinking about your role now as father essentially you know you're, you're stepdad to these kids how is that experience translating into your experience as a stepfather now well, it definitely, um, like I, I think back at mostly the things that my father was not there for me with, and I just want to make sure that I don't make those same mistakes. Like I want to be there for the kids. So, um, even when I'm tired, I try to like wrestle, especially with the youngest or just do something like play a video game, whatever it is. Um, I'm, I never, not only did my father never do that for me, but I, I never would have wanted him to anyway. Like the idea of him doing that would have been laughable to me, laughable to me. Um, so just being able to spend that like fun quality time where they want my attention is something that I focused on, but I definitely still have fears that I will be like my father, even though rationally I'm able to comprehend I'm nothing like him. Um, you know, still kind of haunts me. I, yeah. If I think about, people who listen to this show certainly others have been through potentially traumatic situations like that and may even have similar thoughts of i don't want to be like that and they constantly uh question their ability as a father if you were to say to them give them the confidence perhaps what what would you say to them to help them realize that they are capable of not uh, perpetuating that sort of behavior and being a responsible parent? Um, I would say just try to be like down to earth about your own qualities and your own, like look at yourself in the mirror and be honest. Um, it's really easy to put emotion behind what we look at and what we see. But I mean, you know, if you're going to be a good father or you're not based on like the kind of person you are and the kind of actions you have. Um, and yeah, I mean, most people are going to take it seriously, especially if they're considering 
um, the potential woes that they might have, that means they're taking into consideration how good of a father they're going to be, which means they're probably going to at least do all right. You know, you nailed something, man. I think that the more conscious we are of our own behavior, that really makes us more prone to looking for ways to improve. And that also helps us realize, you know what? We really give a shit, right? Like that's important. That's really important to realize. Uh, Daryl, do you want to take us through some of your experiences with uh, your own childhood? Yeah, sure. Um, So my parents divorced when I was three years old. Um, It's my first memory. uh, Actually, my mom leaving with me uh, and I had an older brother, um, six years older. And he he lived with my father primarily. And my upbringing is sort of just kind of living with a single mother um, that did everything she could to support us. She worked two to three jobs just to keep a roof over our heads. But we certainly didn't live a, a lavish lifestyle. It was mostly in and out of trailer parks. And, you know, that identity of being poor uh, it, is close and and still with me today and a really interesting uh concept to carry with you when you've risen out of something like that yeah what what sort Um, of ways is that still i don't know is haunting the right way to say it like what what sort of ways is that still impacting you today as an adult well it's hard because i try i try to appreciate what i have and and i appreciate my upbringing because there's always somebody that's had it worse right um so but in, it still impacts me in ways. For instance, when we lived in a trailer park, it was literally right across the train tracks from a, a resort and golf course. Um, oh, wow. So there was always this, uh, you know, I don't know if it's envy or whatever it may be, but thinking about how easy um, wealthy people might have it. And that's sort of something that I've had to root out of my my system and my personality is an inherent, not hatred, but sort of distaste for wealth, um, because those people's experiences aren't any less valuable than mine when I think about it rationally. But there's still that little like you see somebody driving down the road in a Mercedes and they're they're not looking where they're going and not considerate of anybody. And you just have this little like, you know, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What do you, what do you think helps you recenter yourself when you're having those thoughts? Does anything come to mind? I think it it comes with experience and just talking with people that that grew up in a middle middle to upper class lifestyle and and still had horrific trauma. Um yeah. you know, it when you when you grow older things become a little bit more nuanced and and money is certainly not um, something that takes away all your problems. Yeah. So just appreciating those people and, and out of respect for those people, I'd say you just sort of shift your thinking and try to be a little more rational. Yeah. We're all on our own journey, man. It's, it's yeah. really important to be considerate of that. That's hard to do though, man, because you see those a-holes driving the Mercedes and, and, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, whatever it is that you're kind of triggered by <laughs> and yeah. that that's yeah. hard to be in the moment of. And I think being mindful and, uh, empathetic and compassionate leading with those sort of qualities is really important. Um, so right. let, let's, uh, let's, let's go back to what we were talking about though. You know, you, you grew up in a divorce household. Um, yeah. Very so, young. 
so yeah, single mom, uh, and, and, you know, pseudo dads, multiple in and out of my life, you know, things like that. But my, my real father, um, was very, very, um, well, let's say he just kind of wasn't in my life a lot. He was in and out of prison as an alcoholic. Um, I'd say a nice alcoholic. He never got violent or anything like that. Um, but just kind of wasn't around. And even when he was around, he wasn't really present. Um, so addiction is, is sort of a theme in my family. And, and that got passed on to my, both my older brother and younger brother. Uh, so, you know, my older brother, um, dealt with opioid addiction into full on heroin addiction. And being around that was really difficult, um, because it's sort of just, it changes a person and to see that change is extremely sad. Um, and, and by, I may sound like I'm simplifying it by saying it changes a person, but when you have the experience, you know what I'm talking about. Um, it sort of shifts their personality completely, even when they're off the drug. So there was that. And then, you know, my younger brother also was addicted to heroin and meth. Um, so I'm just sort of dodging bullets left and right, uh, that I'm not a complete mess. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's really impacted my sort of trajectory in, you know, um, you know, Mike was th uh, talking about what advice you would give to, to dads that are afraid of becoming, you know, what they don't want to be. And I had a really impactful conversation with a professor in college. And she asked me, Daryl, what do you want to be? And I started listing all the things that I didn't want to be. It's like, well, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my mom in these ways um, or my brothers. And then she, she paused and she said, you said all the things you don't want to be. Tell me what you want to be. Um, and I think that shift in thinking can be really uh, important for people who have dealt with trauma or abandonment or whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's uh, very impactful. And that reflection, you know, you listing off all the things you don't want in your life. Yeah. That is a very interesting reflection. Uh, so, so I mean, but here you are, you're, uh, you, you've done some things here that have been truly impactful of helping other people. And it sounds like that's quite a calling. Uh, yeah. so let, let's talk about how you guys got into this. So you guys met because you were both working together. Um, you want to take us through how you guys met? Okay. Uh, so we met at a treatment facility. So this facility in particular, um, is residential for kids that are dealing with trauma, uh, abuse, neglect, like I've said before, or just in between homes, like say they were born into the system and they haven't found a solid foundation or home. They might come here for a little while um, until they're on to the next place. So we worked in these cottages per se, and Mike was sort of assigned to me as a, as a bit of a mentor or like a trainer. Um, and we just hit it off immediately because uh, we were sort of into the same geeky things. We both played D&D &D and Magic the Gathering and, and uh, were into video games and things like that. And then I'd say we worked together for about two and a half years, something like that. 
And yeah, we, I think that's about right. Yeah, and then we sort of went off and did our own things, and then have sort of just been friends ever since. Yeah, very cool. And then, how did this whole concept of Heart Crate come about? Well, so, I think we were we were always kind of integrating geeky things in with um, the kids as often as possible. Like we would do Magic the Gathering drafts or D and D campaigns or. Um, Daryl had a whole collection. He, he actually got approval from the big like supervisors that he got this budget to buy all these really geeky uh, board games and they would play different board games every Saturday um, in the evening in his cottage. Um, but that was just always a huge focus and we both always related with um, helping kids, especially like ones that have been through um, a lot or had mental health problems and geek culture um and that's kind of just the most um simple form of how it started like those were just two things that we related with yeah that's awesome um you guys are right up my alley as far as the geekdoms go uh so that's awesome um thinking about the kids that you guys were helping and working with and and still do help and, and work with in some capacity can you without breaking any uh, HIPAA laws or whatever. It, are you able to talk about some of the examples of neglect or, or child abuse that these kids had gone through that uh, would perhaps help the listeners at home understand sort of the the depth of damage that could sometimes be caused by the, the behavior of their parents? Um, sure, Daryl, you got a good one? Um. It depends how graphic you want to get. Yeah, <laughs> like, let's I, do, I don't want to let's say do some like PG thirteen stories. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you share share whatever you think is going to be impactful and appropriate. Yeah, sure. So I mean, go ahead. Let's let's kind of just say, uh, without getting too specific, you know, rape, physical abuse, sexual abuse, long term. Um, those are all. Those are all there. And these are some of the kids that have been through the worst of the worst and are sort of impacted by it through mental illness or, or just trauma related behaviors. Um, and let me, um, so the way it looks oftentimes is I'd say most of the kids, 90% of the time look and act like normal kids. Um, but they are unable and this is most of them. There's some that are more extreme. Um, but when things get tough, when there are challenges, um, they often will um, express those negative emotions in much more dramatic fashion. So that can be um, for verbal and physical violence on occasion and um, pretty much anything in between. Um, it's heartbreaking. So How old understanding are these kids, by the what way? they come from was really vital to working there long-term, which Daryl and I can, we're very much considered uh, veteran staff members there. Right. Um, and just comprehending that it wasn't personal. It wasn't like just because this kid is like cussing at you and he's, you know, five. Um, it doesn't mean what you think it means. It's just that that's what he's learned to, you know, cope with the situation. Dude, five right. years old. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like what, yeah. what are the oh, yeah. typical age ranges for these kids? So we serve kids, um, and similar to the way Heart Crate works, we were serving kids anywhere from 5 to 18. But for instance, like 
you know, uh, as a caseworker, I did intake, which means I was responsible for investigating reports of abuse. So it, it, that included any kids. So like I've been in on um, uh, interrogations for infant deaths that were caused by adults, um, you know, anywhere from two, three years old, four years old and, uh, and beyond. So. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, it's, uh, that's a range, dude. <laughs> one, one thing I want to highlight is, you know, Mike said that the abuse doesn't necessarily like the, the extremity of the abuse doesn't necessarily connect with the extreme behaviors. Um, for instance, right. we had a kid that had been, her mother had been kidnapped and uh, by a, by a stepfather of hers, um, raped repeatedly. She had two kids like in captivity, essentially. And these kids were forced to, to be in a room and with no bathroom, nothing. And they would be thrown, you know, a half eaten bag of McDonald's every once in a while. Um, Mm. Yeah, we we had to teach these kids had to like walk up and down stairs, um, right? Because they'd never even seen them, um, kind of a thing. Good lord, dude, who does that to people? It's it's hard to imagine. Like, okay, so not to dwell on, honestly. No, I (laughs) yeah, yeah, I hear you, and but you know, I think also about how we prevent and how we try to uh, catch these sort of things as they happen. As somebody that has investigated these situations, Daryl, do, do you have any recommendations for listeners at home if they're suspect, uh, sus- yeah, I guess suspecting abuse or child abuse or, or anything of the sort? I'd say better safe than sorry is, is always the best way to go. Um, yeah. I, I was going to agree. I was going to say, be bold. Sometimes it's scary to call someone in on something, you know, especially if they're a friend or somebody, you know, or a neighbor or, right. you know, somebody that might be able to bring it back to you. Um, but just call it in. There's always a, uh, a crisis hotline or an abuse hotline that you can call to report the abuse and um, take the time to, to give as many details as you can. And oftentimes something might be maybe as innocuous as you're here, you're hearing a lot of screaming going on at a, at a kid or you hear or you see a kid get pushed by their parent um, or even potentially hit obviously it's always best to just call it in because you never know if you know they go out and investigate that thing and it turns out to be something like a one-off thing or whatever it may be or there might be a history of calls from this family mm. um, where the caseworker is more likely to go out and investigate and take that very seriously yeah um, so yeah, better safe than sorry. Yeah, and oh, yeah. on occasion, I mean, there have been cases of families being called on for a period of years before, um, you know, the child ended up in our facility or sometimes even dead, you know, um, with My very God. little action. Yeah. So it's important to make sure that you call um, for the kids' sake, you know. Wow. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. And the fact that it's not just like a one and done. This this could be, you know, there there could be so many instances of calls on this household and that could be just enough to kind of set it over the edge and, and really drive some kind of a, 
uh, action taken by whatever child protective services or who else? Like, is there an organization that you guys recommend people reach out to specifically, or is it just child protective services or what? Um, if you, if you were to Google like report abuse there, there's going to be a local number for you to call. Um, it's generally child protective services, but they sometimes have different names depending on the state. I gotcha. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So, so just to like follow up on that, the number of times the family gets called in, it, it is incredibly difficult for a kid to get removed from a home. Um, and I think that's one of the misconceptions that people have because they've seen movies with caseworkers that are just like, oh, well, you're not doing so well. And, and you may have, you know, gotten angry around your kid. We're going to snatch your kid away from you. Um, and the caseworker turns out to be the bad guy in that case. Um, right. when, when in reality... I mean, I worked a case that was incredibly horrific. The kids were, uh, I heard audio of them being punished with a taser. These, these parents were what security work, uh, security people who had tasers and they were punishing their kids with tasers. They were doing things like, you know, a kid got a piece of candy out when he wasn't supposed to. So the mom made him eat the pile of candy until he vomited um you know and and they were abusing three of their kids with proof and we were not able to remove that kid um oh my god it is is incredibly difficult uh and when it happens you know it it is very clear cut so Mm. yeah which i guess that tells you the extent of the abuse that happens before a kid comes into care. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, but don't you guys see that? Like, don't you guys see that as a problem? Like, isn't that an issue if people are tasing their kid and nobody's doing anything about it or not, not that anybody's not doing anything about it, but they can't do anything about it. Isn't that an issue or am I reading? Yeah. No, no, it's definitely an issue. I don't know if there's a, like, I don't have a, direct and easy solution to it but yeah i mean we want kids to be with their families you know but if there's abuse we don't and there's not really a good like clear-cut line as to how to define who should have kids and who shouldn't yeah i don't know how we fix that i don't know how we figure out an answer to that i think that's also the uh the reason part of the reason why heart crate even exists is because of yeah resources um you know these programs are are not very well funded um a lot of nonprofits that are trying to serve kids are don't have the the resources to to do things that heart crate is doing mm-hmm. um and you know when i was like when i was a caseworker we let's say we had 10 people on rotation when on rotation means that you can get um investigations and we were supposed to have 40 for the number of things that were coming in um, it's, it's overwhelming how, how much it takes and there just needs to be more focus on the government funding these programs so that we can do more with kids. Yeah. And let's talk about HeartCrate a little bit more. So who came to who and was like, I got a great idea. Daryl so came I, to me. Yeah. I came to Mike, uh, with the idea and it sort of stemmed from our experiences with kids at the treatment facility and how much success we saw with supporting 
parts of their identity and giving them new things to invest themselves in. So, you know, instead of a kid um, getting upset and getting violent with staff members, maybe she was building her Magic the Gathering deck because she was upset that, that uh, you know, one of the staff beat her, me or Mike beat her. Um, and, and seeing that in combination with seeing kids being removed from their homes, oftentimes, you know, when a removal happens, maybe police are there, but there's very little time for these kids to gather their things or, you know, the, the possessions that are important to them because you just can't take it with you. Um, there's no way to like take several suitcases of things. So they often have a trash bag full of clothes and just the essentials. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was inspired by both of those things to, to see, okay, what is, what is something we can do that goes along with our geeky natures, um, that can be impactful for these kids that have basically nothing and that are, you know, having their identity stripped away over time when people aren't supporting them in those ways. Right. Yeah. Um, so I came to Mike and I was like, Hey, you want to do this thing? And, uh, he said, yeah, Mike, what about it was super appealing to you to want to jump in and be a part of this project? Um, well, the easy answer is that it was geeky and helping kids. Um, but more than that, I knew Daryl and the kind of person he was. And he's, if you can't tell from, uh, how he speaks and how careful and precise he is, he's a very particular person. And when he does something, he like puts all of his energy behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a lot of respect and, uh, trust and he's a really smart individual as well. And he reached out to me and he told me in his very serious tone that he wanted to do this for real. And I knew it wasn't just like, um, I don't know, like a side project, like fun thing. I knew it was like a potential like lifetime career. And I was like, let's do it. Like I've been working towards doing something and not really finding the thing that fit as well as I'd hoped. Um, I've tried writing comic books and worked with kids in all different avenues. And I've just been craving to do something on my own. And Daryl honestly swooped in right at the right moment in my life. Um, yeah. And it was an easy yes. I think he texted me and then we called and then we met. And after we met, um, it was a done deal. I love it, man. Yeah, just Thank you, Mike. That's very nice of you. Yeah, two kindred spirits here uh, on the same path. I, I love that. Now, let's talk about some of the really cool little touches that you guys make in these heart crate uh, boxes. Do you want to talk about some of the attention to detail that goes into each package that these kids get? Sure. Well, kind of segueing back from um, kids in facilities and places like that, um, they get stuff. They get toys oftentimes on their birthday and Christmas. And sometimes if you have the right staff member or um, there's enough care put in, certain nonprofits do a good job of picking specific toys out. Um, but for the most part, they just get whatever's around, like whatever extra toys in the basement. Um, uh, here's a boy toy. Here's a girl toy kind of a thing. And there's not a lot of energy put into having a precise thing that you will love. And honestly, kids aren't great at advocating for themselves as far as what they like. 
Um, I understand this more now as a parent because I know what my kids want because of what they watch and the games they play and so forth. But oftentimes when I ask them what they want for Christmas or their birthday, they can't really specifically tell me they, they can, if I give them the idea like, Oh, well maybe this, they'll be like, yes, that's like, how did you know? Um, but these kids don't have that. They don't have a caregiver there to help direct what they want. And so um, what we've done is we've created a survey that to, is to be used with their caregiver or staff member or foster parent, whatever it is. Um, they fill it out. They, we figure out exactly all of their interests. So if they're into sports or Pokemon or ballet or whatever it is, we learn about it. We learn about their favorite shows, their favorite games, everything. And then we build the box based on all of those interests. So we're guaranteeing that they're going to enjoy everything inside the box. That is such a cool way that you're able to make that special for them. That is so amazing, guys. Uh, Why don't we take a moment and educate people on how they can support the organization, uh, you know, monetarily and even non-monetarily. Daryl, you want to take us through that? Yeah, sure. So uh, you can support us by donating like like you said alex monetarily and you can go to heartcrate.org slash donate um you can also donate items so we take pretty much any geeky things that are in relatively good condition um and then beyond that uh it's just spreading the word like what we're trying to do right now and we're in the very early stages of it um is just let people know what we're all about and sort of expose people to what's really going on with these kids and a need that we think is not being met, which is we're just not really investing uh, as much as we, we should be into these kids. And they're in a system that doesn't really necessarily have time or resources to care about what they're interested in. And we believe that, you know, supporting those identities are, are incredibly important in terms of, their prognosis, if you will, or um, how they're going to do once they go through the system and then become adults. Um, we want to connect them to communities and, and you know, build up those parts of their identity they can be proud of. That's so uh, important. So, they have a place of like, like what you're just saying is so incredibly important because they have a, they, they then feel like they have a community, a purpose, something that they can tie to um, yeah. just socially. And yeah. that's so difficult for these kids, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. And the, geek, the geek community in general, I, I think this is true for both Mike and I, have, have been so incredible as like a, a safe haven. Um, everybody's welcome, you know, uh, and we don't care how much money you have. You know, they don't care how much if you're into Star Trek or Star Wars, you can still connect with somebody on those on those levels. So, yeah, it doesn't matter how much trauma or how odd your personality is or how bad you smell. If you know, you like Pokemon and I like Pokemon, let's hang out. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's what it's all about, man. So who, uh, knew the frog pants network before the other, did you guys both listen to Scott's stuff? Daryl. Uh, yeah, me, uh, I, uh, was I, in- I've become a fan since, but yeah, Daryl, Daryl's been a huge fan. So since like 2009, I, I was playing World of Warcraft at the time. And to be honest with you, I can't remember if it was FilmSack or the instance that I listened to first. Um, but when I got brought into, you know, listening to Frog Pants stuff, it just 
became a huge part of my life. Um, you know, and even beyond that, like TMS and, and a lot of the other shows around the, the network, even a move, uh, shows, it's just been a, a huge boon. Cause I, I kind of love to have something to listen to or, or, um, you know, here throughout my work day or whatever it may be. So podcasts are a big part of that. Yeah, man. Yeah. You and I have a similar approach. I started listening to Scott's work back in, yeah, similar to like the same time. The instance was my kind of gateway drug. And for those listening at home, we're talking about Scott Johnson and you've heard Scott's interview here, I'm sure, uh, back uh, several episodes ago. But if you haven't, go to thedadchronicle.com. Look for Scott, Scott Johnson's story. It was uh, The Cartoonist was the name of his episode. Uh, really insightful. Great dad. Great dude. Um, and even Brian Ibbett, um, his co-host on TMS that we talked about, uh, They uh, the, both of those guys have been on this show. And Brian and I work very closely together on America's Next Top Podcaster. Um, so, uh, both great guys, great advocates for this awesome program that you guys have put together and, um, the, the organization recently, uh, almost raised almost like $3,000 during a charity yeah. stream that those guys did. So that was really, really cool. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. It was and insane. Yeah. We, they've been a huge support. Um, Daryl swore by them before I'd ever listened to any podcast. He's like these guys and. Brian Ibbett lives in Colorado and we live in Colorado. We need to reach out to him. We need to contact him. And we had a lot of, uh, you know, building up our nerves, writing the perfect email, having the like most prepared phone call. And eventually we met with Brian and his wife, Tina, and, uh, we super hit it off and they love the idea. And, um, from then on, like Scott joined us as well as a couple other great board members that we have. Um, but it's been amazing having them on the team. I love it. Yeah. And the Ibbots are some of the best people in the world. All, all those oh, people, yeah. man, like I got to, you know, I've been listening to them for years and then got to meet them in Vegas earlier this year. Um, especially after all the top podcaster stuff, I just said, I got to, I owe it to myself to go see them. And, uh, yeah. I was not disappointed. They're wonderful, wonderful folks. So folks at home, if you want other great podcasting content to listen to head over to frogpants.com, check out anything that Scott and the friends do over there. It's all good stuff. So, um, you know, again, you can head over to heartcrate.org. Did I get that right? You did. That's right. Yep. Beautiful. And, uh, make sure that you, you, throw some money their way. They have a wonderful cause. And uh, again, our guests today have been Daryl Harrington and Mike Belusic. Did I say it right? You got it. You got it. Okay. All right. I'm nailing it, man. Thank you both for being here. I do appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you for having us. Special thanks again to Daryl and Mike for sharing their story and about sharing and starting this organization called HeartCrate. And again, you can go to heartcrate.org to uh, donate They take monetary donations, toy donations, whatever it is that you want to send their way. Um, Learn about it. Get involved. Get educated. It is such an important mission that they're on. And they could use all the help that they can get. And if you enjoyed what you listened to today, give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and consider supporting this show. 
If you head over to thedadchronicle.com, there's a link to become a patron. And we have a lot of really great rewards for patrons. So be sure to check that out. Big thanks to all of our patrons who are supporting us up to this point. If you'd like to chime in on the conversation we just had, email thedadchroniclepodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to follow me on social media, you can by just searching for at Alex Albisu. My last name is spelled A-L-B as in boy, I-S as in Sam, U. Thanks for listening. See you next time. If you like this show, check out more great content at incastmedianetwork.com.